and it's not working. Okay, so and the aim is to discover what it means to be to have freedom in Christ, and then to live in it and to share that freedom in Christ that we have with other people. Let's see if it's going to work. Yes, discovering our freedom in Christ. Thank you. I wonder what God's been saying to you. The, the encouragement for this past series of messages has been to read through the, uh, the book of Galatians and see what God's saying to you. I've had some really great conversations with people during the week and telling me about what God has shown them from the book of Galatians as we've been reading it through. And it's, it's, it's wonderful to see that God's word is live, alive and living and speaking to people individually, let alone what I might say on Sunday mornings. I'm so glad about that. So this morning we're going to be going into the uh, third part of Galatians, the last two chapters, and we'll be discovering what Paul has to say. But I have a question for you this morning. Does, has anybody seen this movie? And there, The Big Miracle. Anybody remember seeing that movie? You have to stretch your memory back because it was, it was uh, released in Australia in about 2011. So anybody who has a memory loss after 10 years, don't even think about it. And this story captured the world's attention, not this, this uh, movie. The movie was based on a story. What happened was back in 1988. Now, that was nearly pre-internet days, wasn't it? 1988? Yeah. So, so they would have communicated by the normal things, telephone, telegram, maybe emails. But they wouldn't have had the uh, media coverage that we have today, except this story, which was in the uh, uh, area of Alaska in the United States, northern United States, captured the world's attention. What happened was there were three grey whales, uh, mum and dad and a little uh, pup. They were caught in the ice as it, as it solidified quicker than normal. And so they were four kilometres from the coastline. The ice flow they were in was four kilometres wide before they could get to the open ocean. And really nobody took much notice of it except for a few Eskimos in the area and a very intrepid newspaper reporter so when the Eskimo spoke to him, he thought, people have got to hear about this and surely we can't let them just freeze up and die there in the ice. And so the word went out by the newspapers. International help came from all over the globe to help free these three whales. They had people from, from, from various walks of life. Alaskan whale hunters came to free them. <laughs> Greenpeace environmental activists, oil executives... Uh, the National Guard, the American president got on board at the time. Politicians, both at the state, national, international level. They wanted to see these captured animals, captured in the ice, freed back into the oceans. People came from all over. A couple of businessmen from one of the American states provided these de-icing machines. So they were obviously heaters of some sort to keep the hole open so that the hole wouldn't freeze in over the top of the Wales. Finally, the big guns arrived. The Soviets sent an icebreaker. First attempt, it didn't work, but after that, they ended up making a canal or a channel for these whales to get out. Sadly, only mum and dad made it. The little one died from injuries sustained. Why do we do that? Why does the world get captured by people who are captured? or by things that are captured. There's this amazing, uh, maybe it's an inbuilt uh, thing that wants animals and people to have freedom. Well, it's not just about whales. You might remember this story. 
Remember the Thai cave rescue back in 2018? I think there was, uh, was it 12, 12 um, Thai soccer players and their assistant coach. After they'd practiced one day, they went for a walk through the caves, the nearby caves, and they got trapped inside the caves. Four kilometres away from the mouth of the cave and two kilometres of that, at least two, maybe three kilometres of that was underwater. How are they going to get out? It wasn't for five days that they discovered that they were missing and the alarm went out. And then, again, the international community rallied. There were um, uh, uh, SAS divers, or uh, I forget what they're called in Britain, but uh, British divers sent over, two guys in particular, and then all sorts of people from Australia. There was divers from Australia. They all turned up to rescue these boys. And they did, thankfully. They got the 12 of them out, plus their um, coach. They were rescued after a week or more in the cave. But there was a lot of planning went into that. There was a lot of strategy went into it. How are they going to get them out? Were they going to teach them how to dive? Do you know how they got them out? In a stretcher, like this. The two experienced divers, there were others involved, took a stretcher in with a face mask and an oxygen tank and that's how they got each of those boys out. It was, the last bit was the hardest through the two kilometres of flooded caves. But they got them out. And there's excitement around the world for that. There's excitement when people are freed or animals are freed from physical bondage. But what about spiritual bondage? We don't talk about that much. In our world, it's something that's, that's not really known about. That people are trapped in spiritual bondage. But there is a spiritual level that people are trapped under, trapped by. And this is what Paul has been writing this letter to the Galatians about. Because even though they had experienced all that we've sung about this morning, they experienced the the wonder of God, the rescuing of Jesus, the experience of grace given by God. They experienced all that if they'd chosen to listen to false teaching and go back to a lifestyle that they used to live. And that's what we need to know. God wants us to be free. In fact, God has set us free. He's set us free, free through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he want us to be free from? Sin, but also the condemnation and the consequences that come of sin. That sin is that shutting off from God, disobedience to God. He wants us to be free of that. He wants to be free, well, Paul was writing, so that the Galatian believers might be free from the bondage to the law of Moses, the Old Testament law, that these false teachers were wanting to um, get them back to. So, Paul, God sent Jesus into the world so that you and I might be free. Free from the consequences of sin, from the bondage of sin. And then he raised up Paul, the apostle, to go as a missionary to the Galatians to show them how, how they could be set free from sin and disobedience to God. How they could come to know the one true God rather than trying to appease multi-gods that they were doing at that time. But he wanted to show them how they could be freed from that lifestyle not imprisoned by it any longer and Christ had come to free them. Sadly, they were stepping back into some of that legalism and Paul wrote this letter in Galatians because he didn't want them to stay stuck. He didn't want them to stay trapped. He didn't want them to stay in prison, as it were, under the legalistic system of the Old Testament. Paul says over and over again that it's the work that... Jesus did on the cross that is the only way to free them from their sin. He's reminding them of the grace of God 
over and over again. Just like the whales at the beginning or the boys in the cave at the beginning. After being set free from their prison, no one would expect them to return to it, would they? Oh, yes, great there now, but I'm going back to that hole in the ice. Oh, it's great to be out of the cave, but you know it was really cosy in there? No. No. So Paul was saying, how can you go back? How can you go back to ways that that bound you up and, and controlled you rather than knowing the freedom that comes through the grace of knowing Jesus? So that's where we're going today. Paul started, he's, he's been for, for four chapters now, we've been looking at uh, the things that he's trying to show them how they can discover their freedom in Christ, to warn them about the things that would entrap them and now he's trying to say, this is how you do it, this is how you live. So if you remember right back at the beginning, I, I said Paul's letter breaks into three sections. He talked about his personal biography, what right he had to speak to them or write to them this way, the doctrinal or theological section where he was pointing out what the Jews were saying but what the uh, Galatians heard Paul saying. And now in these last final chapters and the last part of this letter, he's saying, this is how you should live it out. This is how you should live it out. So we've learned some things over the last uh, many weeks about what we should be aware of. But let's listen to what God's word says about how we should live out the truths that we know that, that uh, have been shown to us. So we're going to read from chapter one, uh, verse 1 of Galatians 5. I'm going to have it up on the screen. If you've got your Bibles open there, that's great. You can follow along. So this is what it says. Gospel freedom, our freedom in the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So, in his letter up to this point, Paul's been highlighting the dangers. He's been warning them of going back. And now he sort of summarises that part of the letter, if you like, in this one sentence, in this one thought, before he moves into the uh, practical uh, way of living. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, which is what these people were proposing. There's, I don't know if you get it here, but he mentions the word free and freedom twice in that verse, first uh, sentence. There's, a, there's a, an importance there's an intensity about freedom that he's trying to get across. We don't always get it in English. That it was written in Greek. We don't always get it. It's as if he's saying, literally, he was saying, for freedom, Christ freed you. For freedom, Christ freed you. Both the noun and the sentence, for those that are English scholars, both the noun and the verb are the word freedom. So, it's, it's that... Focus on what the Christian life is all about. Living a life of freedom. That's what Paul's saying. And he says there, he has set us free. He has set us free. It's uh, For those that are into a language again, it's a single past action that is now completed. So what Christ did, he did once, when he died on the cross, he set us free from the consequences of sin once and for all. That's how important this message of Paul's was. He is saying it loud and strong so that people might get it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need things said to me a few times to make it sink in. So here he is writing it to the Galatians, 
so that it might sink in. Christians have been set free. We have been set free by the good news of Jesus Christ. I wonder if that's your story today. Do you know that for sure? That you've been set free from the consequences of sin because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Paul says, be careful because that freedom is fragile. That freedom is fragile. Let me go back and let me see if I can go back. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That's how fragile it is. And it had become fragile to his readers and listeners because they had been listening to these false teachers and they thought, oh, that sounds good. We might go that way. That's how fragile that freedom was that they had discovered for what Christ, in, in what Christ had won for them. That freedom was fragile. You know what a yoke looks like? We're not talking about an egg yoke here. We're talking about a yoke. Some people know the yoke of oxen, an oxen yoke, two oxen put together. I found this uh, picture when slaves were yoked together. They, they often had a piece of timber that was gouged out at the end and a pin put across so that they were kept together. Others had two, two forks of a tree tied together in the middle, tied around the people. It was so that they would be bound to each other. And that was, that's what Paul's saying, saying be careful that you don't go back to that slavery of the, the legalism of the Old Testament, of the law, because your freedom has been gained through Christ. Keep your gospel freedom. Stand firm, Paul says. Don't waver in it. We have to be careful today that we hear all these different things around about us, about things that are happening. They could be... Uh, things that make us anxious, they could be things that make us uh, excited but we need to check them out and make sure that they are of God otherwise we might get yoked into something that's taking us away from God. This word standing firm is, is a military firm, a military term rather. It talks about the idea of keeping alert, watching out, standing firm in that way, of being strong together is a military term, of resisting attack All those things are bound up in this word stand firm. So Paul's saying do this rather than being caught up in the bondage of the law once again. We have to be careful, like I said, that we don't get caught up in the latest trends without checking out what God's saying in his word about them. Verse 2 goes on to say, so he said stand firm, stand firm because it's very fragile, this freedom that you have. It could be easily taken away from you or easily given up by him. He says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law, not just the physical component, but the whole law. Verse 4 says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. That is so sad for, for, for a pastor, for an evangelist, a missionary to write those words because that's what had happened. They'd, they'd put a barrier in between the grace that God had to offer and the law that they'd chosen to follow. So Paul addresses it in particular. For these Galatians that he was writing to, all the Galatians in fact, they had a choice. Were they going to trust in the gospel or were they going to trust in the, the law of Moses? That was the choice. And Paul comes back to that again. You can see 
throughout Galatians so far. He's referred over and over and over. It's your choice. Make the right one. We must choose. We must choose the gospel or the law. We must choose whether we'll accept the grace of God and find fulfilment and forgiveness through what he's offered to us or are we, like them, going to try and work our way to heaven? It doesn't work. So Paul was saying one of the things that the Jewish uh, teachers that were coming, that were, the Judaizers as he called them, they were saying you must follow the physical rules. The males must be circumcised. And this, so he addresses this particularly in this part of his letter. I wonder what were the implications for them of, of pursuing that track to circumcision. Initially it would be a lot of pain. But if they didn't fulfil all the law, they would miss out on what God had for them. That's what he had been saying all along. You can't look at the law of Moses, you can't look at, at the legalistic side of, of their relationship with God as if it's a cafeteria. You can't take this bit of the law and that bit of the law and that bit of the law. That's what he's been saying the whole time. It's the whole or nothing. So that's the choice you have to make. Uh, one writer uh, used this illustration. It's as if you drive through a red light and you get pulled over by a police officer. Some of us might have done that. We can't justify ourselves by pointing out that we keep all the other laws. We only broke that one. It doesn't work, does it? Yeah? Had the seatbelt on, I wasn't using my mobile phone while I was driving. I just happened to, in a lapse of concentration, drive through a red light. You've still done the wrong thing. No matter how many of the other laws you've kept right, that's what Paul's saying. He didn't use the one about the police officer. But no amount of obedience to the law can cancel out the disobedience. That's what Paul was saying. If you choose to go down the circumcision track and all the other things that they're promoting, then that's the track you have to stay on. But in reality, it doesn't work. That's why God sent Jesus. You have to keep it perfectly or you miss out. Jesus is the only one that can keep it purposely. Christ completed our salvation. Nothing else was needed. Believing in him is the only thing that's needed. And so Paul comes back to that over and over again. The law and the whole law, no pick and choose. We can't choose which parts of the law we want or we don't want. So verses 5 and 6, Paul writes on, but by faith, So he said, this is the choice you have to make but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. So here's the positive factor coming in. Paul's trying to say, lift your eyes up to what you know to be true. I'm just reminding you about it once again. For in Christ Jesus, verse 6 says, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Do you think they would get it yet? How many times does he have to say that? You know, the only thing that counts is faith in Christ alone and that will express itself through love. Instead of striving for righteousness, which he knows and we know is doomed to failure because no one can keep the law of Moses perfectly, Paul encourages them to eagerly wait for the spirit of righteousness to reveal the hope that you have, to show you what hope you can have. Now, we've got to be careful. 
Because hope in the Bible is not like the hope that's talked about in our world. So often people say, I hope this is going to happen. But there's an element of uncertainty, isn't it? I, I don't really believe it. I just hope it's going to happen. Not so with the biblical term hope. The biblical term hope is guarantee. You know, we're not saying, gee, I hope it'll be sunny tomorrow, but I doubt it will, especially if you believe that, no, I won't go there. Um, but what it's saying is, as if, as if we can be totally sure, totally sure, that's the hope that we have in Christ, totally sure, rather than not so sure. And so he's saying, this is what you should be waiting for. You should be trusting Christ for this hope that is totally sure. Paul's saying we need to put our trust in Jesus. Then we can live with assurance that we will be counted as righteous when his spirit reveals that to us. We can know that we are God's children. We can know that we are God's heirs. Sons and daughters of the living God. He says, circumcision is meaningless now because Christ has come. Circumcision is meaningless. Faith in him is what's most important. I don't know about you, but for me that gives me a sense of assurance, a sense of confidence that when I place my faith in Jesus, that's what he requires. I don't need to follow, I don't need to do all those festivals and those acts of the Old Testament, but my heart needs to be right with God. Are you in that place today? Are you totally sure? Do you have that hope in Christ? that no matter what happens in the days ahead, you are safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. That's basically what Paul's challenging us to do today. The next verses, we're going through to verse 12. Don't be confused by the ones at the top. That was a slip of the typist's finger, me. And so we're going to verses 1 to 12 this morning. Paul goes on to say, he uses one of his most favourite illustrations. When you look at the letters of Paul, he likes the athletics and he uses this as a common illustration that of running a race. Verse 7 says, You are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Are you familiar with the running illustration of Paul? Paul used it over and over again. And uh, it's one of his favourite metaphors. Anybody been in some running races over the years? Probably not of recent days, but in your younger years. And don't you just love it when somebody cuts in front of you? That's when you need all that self-control not to retaliate in some way. That's what Paul's talking about. When somebody cuts in on you, they take you away from your goal, they distract you. And that's what these Judaizers were. They... They, they were hindering you from knowing God's plan in your life. So he's using this illustration. He wants the readers and the listeners to know that their race, their life is in danger if they listen to these other people. Be aware of the competition, he says. Watch out. Watch out for that foot that's stuck out in front of you or that elbow that's dug into you as they're going past or whatever. Watch out that they cut in on you. What an interesting illustration for us. I wonder if, there are, if, if we hear things or if somebody's so sold on an idea that they can't help but tell us what that idea is, even if it's wrong. 
They're trying to distract us from what God wants for our lives. We have to be careful that we go back to the Scriptures. They're being kept from obeying the truth by these people who are cutting in on them and persuading them otherwise. But you know, they will pay a penalty, the Bible says. They will pay a penalty for what they're doing. He says to them that those people will be judged for what they're doing. We have to be clear about where God's taking us, but those who try and distract us and sway us away, God will judge them. I wonder, are there people in your life, in your uh, work, that are trying to convince you against something that God says is wrong? And they're saying it's right. Gee, that's happening in our community, isn't it? On, on so many levels. We need to come back to God's word and say, no, this is God's way. We need to take a stand against those that are trying to preach or teach something else. So Paul goes on, verse 11 and 12. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for the agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Now, the, the commentators believe that some of the Judaizers were saying, well, Paul actually believes in circumcision. You know, he was a Jew and he practiced it. So they're trying to convince the uh, Galatian believers that Paul really did insinuate, or they tried to insinuate that Paul really did support circumcision. But he goes, he says, but if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? So their argument was that Paul still thought highly of circumcision was shooting themselves in the foot, if you like, because Paul said, why am I still being persecuted for what I'm teaching, if that's what I'm saying? He said, he says, in that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. The cross that Jesus went to, went through all that pain and suffering for us, was awful. It was offensive to the average person. It's offensive to us today. Yet he's saying, if I believe in circumcision, the cross was useless, it was foolish. What are these people saying to you? Can't you see the argument that they're using? And Paul was so emotionally involved, I believe, with the, and concerned for the people of the churches of Galatia that he comes out with this last statement in verse 12. Pretty dramatic statement, isn't it? Yeah. As for those agitators, if they really believe in circumcision, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Or you could say, castrate themselves. Because, I guess, do you ever get frustrated and you feel like taking some action? You know, it's better to use words, isn't it, than actions? And here was Paul using the strongest words he could to, to challenge these Judaizers. I think there was a little bit of uh, background to that that we don't fully understand. In my uh, research, I found out that in the area of the Galatians, some of the heathen, uh, heathen, heathen pagan religions, in their frenzy of worship, would actually castrate themselves. I can't get my head around that, I'm afraid. But uh, that's how far they would go to show that they were loyal to their gods. So Paul's saying, why don't you go that way too? I think he had an underlying thought. Well, if you do that, then there'll be no more people to promote what you're teaching either. Certainly the Galatians knew about these priests. They wouldn't miss Paul's direction there because they knew about these other religions in the area and that's what they were practising. I wonder, 
if it had just got to Paul where he had, this is his final jab at them, if you like. If you really believe this, do it, but go all the way. Stop being a bother to these Galatians, these Galatian Christians. Can I tell you that the, the news gets better next week when we go to the second part of uh, Galatians? Uh, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, so you know some of those verses. But Paul's sort of saying to them that, that there's this truth in Christ, this freedom that we have in Christ, that if these people don't get their act together, just hopefully they'll go away somehow. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. So next week we're going to be looking at the, the freedom that, that we do get from knowing the grace of God. The freedom that we do get by knowing how God was motivated by grace to empower us through the Holy Spirit to live lives that bring honour and glory to him. But today, just to finish, our main focus is this gospel freedom. There was no need for the new believers to go through all this pain, to go through all these ticking the boxes like the Judaizers expected them to because their freedom was certainly in Christ. All right, I've jumped ahead some of my notes there. I want to finish with an illustration this morning, another movie. By the way, I do like watching movies. Um, some movies have significant stories in them that, that I grab a hold of for sermon illustrations. You may know this one, you may not. This, uh, this movie, 127 Hours, was released in, in Australia in 2011. Anybody seen it? No? It's about the guy on the, your left, uh, Aaron Ralston. He was hiking in one of the canyons in Utah. He's alone. He did not tell anybody where he was going. He did not have personal EPIRB, which... Uh, is very wrong these days. We should let people know where we're going, especially when we're on our own. He learned a lesson from it. He fell down in, in this chasm, in this canyon. And as he was falling, one of the rocks, the boulders, loosened and they both fell down together and when he woke up at the bottom of the canyon, his right arm was jammed underneath the boulder. He had enough food and supplies with him. He had, sorry, he had food and supplies with him and he found out down the track that they lasted five days when he rationed them. He tried everything. He had a, a multi-tool, you know, a multi-tool knife and he got the serrated blade out. He tried to dig away at the rock but he could not release his right arm from the rock. On the fifth day when his food had run out, he chose to cut his arm off. I can't imagine what that would be like. He survived. He, he had to abseil down a 65, uh, 65 metre high cliff, walk through the National Park where he came upon some campers they got the authorities involved. He survived. He's alive, he's married, now has a son. But the essence of this story says that sometimes when we're in bondage, in slavery, there's a price that needs to be paid to be free. For Aaron, the price was the loss of his arm for freedom. He could have not done that and died there, but he chose to do that. The price of our freedom is the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross. Paul was emphasising that to the people in Galatia over and over again. Jesus paid that price on the cross to free us from the bondage of the law so that our salvation might be by grace through faith. Not our sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice. But as a result of it, we are expected to do something. Jesus tells us that there is a price to be paid, not just his price, but our price as well. 
The price to be paid for freedom, bondage and slavery is found in one of the other scriptures that Jesus actually speaks. He says this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Sacrifice doesn't gain us salvation, but often we're called to sacrifice once we are saved. We're called to sacrifice our lives, to give our whole life to Christ, to let him be the Lord and the Saviour of our life. If we want to keep our life, we need to give it to him. That's what that verse is saying. Our freedom is what Christ died for. Our freedom is what we long to enjoy every day, but it comes at a cost. Not only Christ's cost, but our response to what he's done. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let us stand in that freedom. What will you do today? Some terrible stories this morning. Animals trapped, people trapped, a man trapped at the end. Christ frees people from bondage. He frees us from those traps that others will try and entrap us by. Will we stand for freedom? That's the question. Let me pray. Ask the musicians to come up while I'm praying. Father, we thank you that your word is, is relevant for us today. We thank you that Paul wrote to people who were going through tough times and we do too. Paul wrote to people who were being distracted from the truth that they'd heard and sometimes that happens to us as well. Well, I pray that you'll keep us focused on what your truth is, that we might live free in that truth. We desire this. We desire to bring glory and honour to your name through this. We pray in Jesus' name today. Amen.